Hey, and welcome back. Another episode of Business of Film. This is episode number 34. My name is Jesse Eichmann, and you're listening to a crafttruck.com podcast. All right, this episode is a fun one. Uh, I was really excited to get Stephanie Palmer, author of Good in the Room, on the episode. Uh, I think I found her on Twitter. I'm, I'm not exactly sure how I connected with her originally, but I just remember hopping over to her site, uh, goodinaroom.com, and checking it out. And I was like, we got to get Stephanie on the show. She started her career as uh, an intern on Titanic, if you can believe that, Uh, then went over and worked for Jerry Bruckheimer Films uh, as an assistant to Chad Oman. Really cool. We get into some really neat conversations about uh, her work there. And then she went over to MGM, where she was an executive over there, worked uh, and took more than 3,000 pitches. And so there was just so much information that I wanted to, uh, you know, talk to Stephanie about and get from her and share with you today that... Uh, I couldn't help but be a little excited to have her on uh, the show today because I just knew that if we could get into the goodness of uh, her career, that there would be some amazing gems that we'd be able to share with you today. And I really think that we did that. So I'm very excited to share this episode with you here uh, on Craft Truck. I I hope you enjoy it. Uh, Stephanie, if you're listening to this, thank you for coming on the show. um, And thank you for sharing all that information uh, with our listeners. Uh, And we hope that you, our listeners, enjoy this podcast. Uh, we're super appreciative to you know have you out there and enjoying this podcast. So feel free to leave any comments about this particular episode, which will be crafttruck.com slash BOF34 on our site. And if you listen through to the end, uh, or skip to the end if you want to do that, uh, we're going to have some really cool stuff that we're going to be giving away as well, uh, courtesy of Stephanie as well. So uh, thanks so much for listening. Enjoy this episode. Good in a Room with Stephanie Palmer. As I want to introduce you to our audience, uh, Stephanie Palmer is the best-selling author of Good in a Room, and we don't often have the opportunity to interview uh, authors on the site as well as uh, you know people who've been in the business for uh, in such an esteemed way as you have. So uh, perhaps you can take just a moment and introduce yourself to our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. Well, my background, I actually studied theater, but then... Um, right out of college, I, my first job was interning on the movie Titanic, and then I started working at Jerry Bruckheimer Films on such big blockbusters as Con Air and Armageddon and Enemy of the State, and then I moved to MGM Pictures where I worked my way up to being the director of creative affairs, where my job was one of the small team of executives who would read all the screenplays that were submitted to the studio hear all the pitches and help decide which projects we wanted to purchase and then produce. And the cool thing uh, was that at MGM, if you found a project as the executive, you got to supervise it all the way through development, production, and release. That is awesome. I really got a great um, overview of the whole, at least the studio filmmaking business. And so so then after 10 years, I left and started my own business um, called Good in a Room, which is what I do now where I help filmmakers sell their screenplays and get their movies made. Okay, so first off, let's start with Titanic. Sure. Uh, because were you actually in Baja in the studios in Mexico where where they were shooting at the time? Yes, and not only was I in Baja, but my first job in the movie business was driving some sort of illegal materials over the Mexican border. Oh, that's fantastic. You were a mule right out of school. 
Pretty much, because I look like a nice girl from Iowa, which is what I am, and I think the production thought, no one's going to stop her, so just put these boxes in your trunk and drive over the Mexican border and make sure you go to Baja, and that's what I did, and I wanted to please, so I didn't even question it. That's fantastic. You know, it, it just, I'm, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here just because I, I, I think it's fun. Uh, I had the opportunity to work on a movie called uh, All is Lost, um, which yes. was shot at the Baja Studios. And they still have there uh, all the, like, some of the, the remnants from the set from Titanic. Really? I believe it. Oh, it's mm-hmm. great. I haven't been there since since then, but yes. It's mm-hmm. awesome. It's awesome. Like you get to stand up on, you know, uh, I'm the king of the world, be all cheesy up yes. there. And, and, then they got, <laughs> and then they got the back of uh, the actual Titanic, you know, mounted. Just It's literally like sitting in a corner rusting and it says Titanic on the side. It's, it's so cool. I mean, like, what was that like for you kind of coming out? Did you know that, that, that I mean, obviously Titanic to Jerry Bruckheimer, I mean, those are some... That that that's a big way to start. I, was this kind of your goal from the beginning? Like, I want to. I mean, did you know what you wanted to do at that time? Frankly, no. I I was so sure that I wanted to be a theater director and work my way up to Broadway. And I was an artiste, and I thought Los Angeles was a place of uh, you know skeezy producers and. Um, dipsy actresses, and that was not the place for me because I was an artiste. Um, but my college professor was very smart, and he said, who worked both in theater, TV, and film, and he's like, Stephanie, you should really consider Hollywood before you dismiss it out of hand, having never been to Los Angeles before. So he was right to uh, call me on my snobbiness, and so I went out to L.A., and that's where I got the internship um, on Titanic and actually just totally loved it and learned how foolish I was that there are so many smart, capable, creative, fascinating people who work in the movie business. And yes, there are still some skeezy people and all that exists too, but that it was a really exciting way to be involved in a creative production just on even a giant scale in comparison to theater, and I was immediately hooked. So was it, I guess, the connections from that internship that got you the job at Jerry Bruckheimer Films? Or was that it just, was okay? Mm-hmm. It was, and and it was through um, other friends who went to my same school um, were working at Brookheimer, and so they hired the temp they hired the temporary assistants, and so one of my friends said, "Well, you can pretend to be a temporary assistant and come and work for free, and we'll pretend that we don't know each other, so that if I screwed up, she wouldn't get in trouble for hiring a bad temp." Um, and so that's what we did. So I came and worked for free, pretending that I was in the temp pool. And the president said, okay, I'm going to fire my assistant and hire you. You're great. Oh, wow. Very nice. Very nice. And how, yeah. how, how long were you there for? Uh, I was there for just under a year. Okay. So in the time that you were there, I, 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 and I want to just, because I know this was some years ago, but I, I, just, I just think it's so interesting. As uh, an assistant in a big company like that, yeah. what did you learn at that time in your career? So much, but the best thing about the job that is blows everything away is that the expectation is that the assistants are constantly listening in on the phone. So my job as an assistant to the president, Chad Oman, was to place his phone calls and then listen in. So I got to hear how he made every single deal, how 
agents would call him and pitch their clients, pitch the movie stars to be in the movie, pitch their screenwriting clients, how he would, what he would interest him, what didn't interest him. Then when Chad would call Jerry and pitch him why we need to buy this movie or why we don't, how they would negotiate the deal, how they would um, get people on board. It was an incredible education that you can't get anywhere else. And so for that, I'm extremely grateful. So uh, I, I actually want to dive into that a little, a little bit because I, I think sure. that there's there, I mean, and there, there is so much that I want to talk to you about just in terms of, you know, your, your book and, but I think all of this is just kind of zeitgeist stuff. And I want to just kind of peel the layers away on this a bit, because if I were a fly on the wall in that opportunity, uh, as you said, there is so much that you can pot, you know, that you would, that one would take away from that experience just being on the phone. What, like if you can actually pare that down to, you know, what did you actually take away? What did you learn sort of listening to, I mean, without giving away any of the, obviously the conf- the confidential stuff, but like, uh, honestly, what were the takeaways? What was that, you know, what did you learn? Well, I learned the value of being able to pitch in a really succinct and clear way because the business moves really quickly. The people at the top are getting pitched all the time. And so the higher up on the food chain someone moves, the more quickly they make a decision, yes, this is for me, or pass. You know, or yes, I'm interested in learning a little more, or just it's an immediate no. And so, um, so much of what I was paying attention to was like, why are these movies getting made or why are these actors getting cast or these screenwriters getting hired versus these other people who are equally as talented, but their ideas are just not getting traction. They're not getting through. Why is that? That was the question that I was most fascinated by. Can you answer that question? Well, I think that um, just because I think it's the, such an just because I think it's such an interesting question. I, mean, I don't I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I do a little bit. <laughs> um, tell me, ask me the question again. Like, what's the specific part that you're interested in? Well, really, your, your last statement. You know, why is it that some pitches you felt were connecting? Whereas the other pitches, I mean, if, I mean, just for, for example, Chad's on the phone, he's pitching a movie to Jerry Bruckheimer or, uh, or a network or uh, studio president. Mm-hmm. What so, makes mm-hmm. some of his pitches connect in a way that would, you know, make somebody go, I, you know, I, I, I'm kind of asking what the, in a stupid way. I'm at, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll call I'll call myself out on it. I'm asking for the secret sauce, and I know there never is a secret sauce. But to the extent that you can distill what made him so good, uh, that would be interesting. Here's what made him so good: he can describe a movie in under three sentences or under two minutes in a way that encapsulates the main idea so clearly that you're like. I want to see that movie. And it was so clear on hearing the movie for the first time, the concept, whether it's a high-concept movie or a more complex, you know, ensemble, indie movie, he can encapsulate it in such a short, clean way that if I then had to call someone else, I could repeat it with, on hearing it only one time. Which made you sound really good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it's because the pitch is so clean and clear and memorable and repeatable. It's not that I'm such a genius of, like, memory skills. It's that he did so much work to figure out what is the hook, how can I describe this in such a clear, compelling way that when someone hears it, they're like, yes, I want to see that. Okay, I'm going to get off the phone with you and call this 
person and get them involved. Okay, so that okay, right, right there, because obviously before he's on the phone, he's spending some time, uh, you know, you know, thinking about and and talking creatively about what the movie is and. And yeah. What and what that pitch is. There's obviously a lot of legwork that goes in before you make the call. So, but before that call is even made, um, can you walk me through to the extent that you can any of the the the, the thinking process? I mean, was it were they you know I don't know pitch sessions inside the company until you know you, you, until you get it just right? Like what was what was going on behind the scenes before the call is even made? Um. Typically, what John and I would do is he would ask me to do research on the behalf of the person. So if, if say, he was going to pitch a movie star to be in a certain movie, let's, we'll pick Nick Cage just because he's in so many Brookheimer movies. Chad would say, okay, let's look through Nick Cage's, all of the movies that he's done in the past, and how is this role going to be different? How is it the same or different from all the other roles that he's done before? So that I can create this customized pitch just for Nick Cage that shows I've seen all his work, I know um, what he's done, we're not just pitching, you're going to do exactly the same thing that you've done before, you know that he's an actor who wants to stretch and be noticed, and he needs to be the star, and we'll emphasize why he's the star, it's not a two-hander, he's the main gig, you know. Um, we will focus on those things that are most compelling and important to that specific one person. It's not a generic one-size-fits-all, we'll be able to pitch everybody the same way. It's highly customized to that specific person. Right. Okay, so um, in, in the, it sounds like, are you pitching around, uh, I mean, at, these, at this studio level, uh, were you, did you find yourself pitching more around the talent or more around the, the, the talent as is specific to the project itself? So it's almost, I don't want to say it's less that it's the concept of the movie, but it's more about the talent in the concept. Um, at Brookheimer, it was more about the talent in the concept because even though Jerry is giant, I mean, mega producer, he still had to get Disney to agree to make the movie. So um, he still had to assemble a package that would get Disney to agree. But then after I moved to MGM and was a studio executive, then people are coming to me pitching packages. And then I'm taking the package and either and just really having to pitch my boss to say this is why MGM should purchase this project. So it okay. was more on the whole movie. Okay, so or why we should hire the screenwriter to do either to we want to buy this pitch or we want to hire the screenwriter to rewrite this project and here's why. All right, so th- this is this is really interesting because now you move to kind of the the other side of the fence where people are coming in and pitching you at MGM. You probably heard, I don't know, I'm guessing more thousand. than three thousand pitches. Okay, mm-hmm. three thousand pitches. I mean, minimum, probably way more, but I didn't want to be ridiculous. But truly, it it was thousands. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing within fairly short order of somebody pitching you that in your mind, you know, the 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 wheels are spinning and you're going yes or no, probably within. 10 to 30 seconds. Um, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. I'm just, I'm just, I'm kind of just making no, that as a No, that's true. I mean, I would say maybe a minute, a minute and a half, but yes, okay. a very brief amount of time. What was it that you found that most often turned you off? W- at what point, you know, when somebody's, when somebody was, was pitching you, what was the, the you know, the, the, you know, when were you pushing the button on the table going, eh, <laughs> done? <laughs> 
so often, and it seems crazy to imagine, but really people, um, writers whom I adore, do not often have a level of objectivity to look at their project as a whole and be able to talk about what the big idea is. Like, to be able to encapsulate their idea in a few sentences is surprisingly rare. Most people will come in and pitch and just start talking about what happens. Here's the opening scene, here's the next scene, the next scene, the next scene, and sort of a litany of um, just sort of the chronology of what happens. But the studio executive then has to go and pitch to my boss the main idea of the movie. That same idea is what's pitched ultimately in the trailer or the teaser to the movie-going audience. So if you can't encapsulate your idea in a simple, clear way, um, from the beginning of the pitch, it's very unlikely that that's going to be fixed, you know, over the years of development and production and marketing. Like, it needs to be there from the beginning. And did you did you find that the idea of being, uh, again, good in a room, do you, did you find that it was more about the person or the, you know, the, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to use too loose of a word here, but the, the charismatic nature of the pitcher would that could that sell a mediocre idea or would the idea of whatever the project was always cut through it's much much the idea is much much more important than the charisma of the individual like without a great idea all the best salesmanship in the world is not going to cover up for that i mean i'm not saying that project hasn't been sold, someone hasn't been swayed by a really persuasive pitch, that has happened, but it is much more frequently that the idea itself is not clear or clean or good enough yet, um, and that the person presenting it doesn't really know what their idea is about. So what makes a, uh, you know, in in your estimation, I mean, it it sounds like it's it's all about boiling these these projects down to their simplest form, to their essence, to their, you know, what is this project about in, in, in that kind of box or in that kind of thinking, uh, what were the things that you felt like really worked in terms of way ideas were conveyed? I mean, did you, did you find that, that doing things a certain way or in a certain order, uh, was better than doing it another way. And I'll give you an example just so that this isn't too es- sure. esoteric of a question. Um, so, for example, if I were to pitch a film to you uh, and I could start you know, with the opening scene or I could start with the character, I could start with the period and the time. I mean, there's different ways into any story. But at the end of the day, um, did you find that when somebody came at you w- with a certain hierarchy of information that it worked better than when people came at you, uh, you know, from a, a different approach? Yes. The one thing, and if you ignore everything else I say in this entire interview, the one piece of advice that I can give you that is the most important is when you start a pitch, you need to lead with genre. Literally, I mean, you want to say, my project is a drama or my project is a comedy, or the title of the project, and this is an ensemble comedy about da-da-da-da-da. Because so frequently people forget the genre, and it is very easy for the person who's listening for the first time, they don't know this project, 
at all, whereas the person pitching it is extremely intimate with their project. And it is very easy for something to get confused. Like you could say, I have this, it's a project about the mob, and this is what happens, and this is what happens. And I might be thinking, oh, this is going to be a comedy, like Meet the Parents, when really it's a drama like um, Three Days of the Condor. You know, totally different. But if you're just listening to the events go along, um, you can, the person who's listening to the pitch can easily get confused. It's so funny you say that because even when we're kind of bouncing around ideas just for our own films, it's, you know, uh, we openly admit any idea can be spun as a comedy or a drama, as a horror. So <laughs> it's, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's almost refreshing to hear from your side of the fence that that's true, that if somebody were just to give you the, the beats of a movie that you wouldn't necessarily know right out of the gate what you're listening to. So I, I actually, I, it's, it's, it's nice to hear that. And I think that's really some amazing advice. Uh, so tell me about Good in a Room. Uh, when, when did you write this, this book? Why did you want to write it? What was your inspiration for, uh, you know, for wanting to help others be, you know, better at pitching? Well, I was lucky when I had started my consulting business um, that I got a call to be interviewed on National Public Radio on the business, which is a great podcast. And so I did that interview. And right after I did the interview, um, this huge book agent called me, who I did not know, never talked to before, and said, I think you should write a book. And I was extremely flattered and knew that agents do not just call you unsolicited um, very often. And so I immediately went to Amazon and purchased every book about how to write a book proposal and um, put together a book proposal and and based on his advice. And then I went to New York and he set up a bunch of meetings. So I went out and pitched. And the ironic thing is I do know how to pitch, obviously, because that's the topic of my book. But then after I pitched it and sold it, and it was all so exciting. It was the moment of, oh, my gosh, now I actually have to write a book. I didn't really follow through with how much work that was going to be or that I was capable of doing that. So it, um, it is something I'm very proud of. I worked really, really hard on it. Um, and it was, it was something that I had the dream that someday I always wanted to write a book. That was definitely a dream that I've had since I was little, but I really didn't think it was going to happen at that point. I thought it would happen much later in life. And did you find when you were going through the process of writing it that it was a much harder endeavor than you initially thought, or did it just kind of pour yeah. out of you all those years? Just kind of, oh, it was. It was that kind of that horror. I'm looking at a white page kind of situation. Uh, I mean, the, the pages were getting full, but they were getting filled with garbage. Um, so I didn't have the the pages blank, but I had the wow. What I'm writing in this first draft is so far from a book that I would shoes at the library or at a bookstore or that I would be proud to have my name on. Um, and it was, and so I really had to learn how to write more than emails or a five page paper in college, which was about the most that I had written previously. And, so it was a major learning curve for me, but I ended up loving it, the process and write so much more now and have a blog and, um, and it's really opened up a whole part of life that I didn't know before. What, uh, just out of curiosity, just because I, I think it's awesome when when people just kind of go out on their own and, and start a blog and you know do the whole the whole online thing to a certain extent. Uh, how's that process been? Just being able to connect with people online through your blog and, and get and get kind of your your 
your work out there um, in that kind of direct way? Has that been a really awesome experience for you, consulting with people, helping people in that in that way? It's been amazing. And um, the thing that I didn't expect was just, and I'm sure this happens to you too, how international um, work online can be. So living in Los Angeles, it feels so myopic and Hollywood is such a small business when you really get right down to it that it was so exciting to have a book out there and be getting emails from around the world, not just in the United States, and people saying, you know, I'm in Pakistan and I used your book to help me get a new job. Thank you. Like, that's so meaningful to me in a way that I really hadn't experienced in any other field, you know, or in any other... It's exciting to to work on a movie that does really well, and that's its own kind of excitement, but there's hundreds of people that work on a movie and make it successful or not successful. A book is really a very solo endeavor, so that was a really personal and special thing for me. And what do you find is maybe one or two of the most reoccurring questions that that you're getting from people who are out there, you know, uh, either... um, hesitant about picking up your book in the first place or have read your book and then come back to you and ask afterwards? Hmm. Um, Well, I think one of the questions that I get a lot is, is this something that I can actually learn, particularly from people in the film business who feel like, and, and most of the people that I work with are writers who are generally more introverted or producers and directors, but, you know, who are artists who are, choose to create their work individually or with a small team and are not those natural salespeople who love the idea of standing up in front of an audience or standing up in front of a big room of strangers and pitching themselves and their work and why it's worthy of investing in. Um, that doesn't come so naturally to a lot of those people. And, and my feeling is that this absolutely is a skill that can be learned and you don't have to force yourself to be super salesy. And in fact, that can be a really uh, a real turnoff. That, but that there are things that people can do to make sure that they're communicating their idea effectively. Because when they don't, unfortunately, good ideas, better ideas, with bad pitches, um, don't get purchased. Whereas worse ideas with great pitches, you know, those win. Unfortunately. And so, when it comes to, I guess, uh, the pitch itself, where do you uh, where do you generally have somebody start? If somebody is in the process of trying to, maybe they think, you know, I'm a good pitcher, or they're listening to this, and they might think they're a great pitcher, or they might think they're a shitty pitcher. It doesn't matter where they sure. are on the spectrum. Uh, where do you have somebody start? Because anybody can always get better at pitching. Yes, and me as well. Um, I'm constantly improving, and there are certainly things that I'm learning all the time. I would have them start with, what is the action? What is the one thing that you want someone to do after they hear your pitch? And actually, it's funny, I hadn't thought about it, but that's so much what a being, um, you know, having an online business is. It's like your one call to action. What's the one thing you want someone to do online? And that totally holds true in an in-person meeting, even though you often don't think about it that way. So is the thing that you want them to read your script? Is it that you want them to review your trailer? Is it that you want them to hire you, um, to send your project to someone else up the chain of command? Being really specific about what that next action is and then working backwards to make sure that you give them all the information that they need to be able to make that so easy at the end of the meeting. So let's just say I'm 
pitching a project. Uh, I've got a script. I'm walking to somebody's office for the first time, and my goal is I want them to read this script. Uh-huh. Because, you know, so often uh, scripts may or may not get read. The pitch may be enough, probably gets passed on to a reader, put into a slush pile. The guy you're pitching may never actually ever read the script. You're exactly right. So, but but you know you've got a good script, you know you've got a good project, and you know you've got a pretty compelling pitch, or so you think. Uh it, on that train of thought, if the one if the one thing I really want them to do is read the script, what do you, what do you say to people? So I would say, okay, the specific executive that you're going to meet with, let's look at like if you were coming to me as one of my clients, I would say let's look at the specific person you're meeting, and let's look at all the movies that they are working on and have worked on in the past, and what has worked well and what has flopped, because believe me, that is what. That is the filter that this executive is thinking through. How can I find something, like one of the movies that I supervised was Legally Blonde. And as soon as that came out and was a big success, all my boss was harping on me was, how can we find our next Legally Blonde? And so that's what I was looking for, is what's something else that's going to appeal to a young female audience that's going to be a light comedy, but, you know, still have some sentimentality about it. That's what I'm looking for. And so the person who comes in with that kind of project the odds are so much greater that I'm going to read that script rather than the person who comes in with a um, drama about a person dying of cancer and, you know, we've had dramas that just tanked one after another for, for a period of time, you know, while I was at MGM. So it's almost like your, your pre-research and finding the right potential buyer is actually more important than the specific words that you say in that meeting. Does that make sense? Yeah, it sounds like do your homework before you go into pitch. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting, uh, and just in and of itself, because it's probably the, the thing that people do the least of, because uh, you're going and you're focused on your own project, and you're not necessarily as concerned about what the person on the other side of the desk actually wants. You're just concerned about conveying your message you know, in the, in the best way possible, but just you have the blinders on to that, you know, it's got to fit into, to a certain extent, into a box. So if you can't Correct. identify what that box is, you're kind of, you know, it, does, it doesn't really matter what you say. Yes. And especially for studio filmmaking, but indie film as well, that genre specificity and making sure that your film fits within an identifiable genre the executive is frequently thinking, will the audience that loves this genre be happy with this movie? You know, will they love this? The people who are the crazy um, comic book movie fans, will they like this movie that's about a comic book? Or will they be like, hey, this didn't really, this wasn't what I was looking for. It had a comic book, but it was really more of a drama or it was really more of an action movie and it didn't have the elements that I really love. So I, I, I kind of asked this before, but, but I want to ask it again because I just, I just think it's just so crucial to how people think. And I'm going to be crude when I ask this question because I just... Do it. I, Go I, for I, it. How do people fuck up? <laughs> um, they talk too much. That is definitely the number one mistake. Um, it's so understandable that they are anxious, they're nervous, there's so much at stake in some of these meetings because if the person says yes, it can mean $100,000 or more, you know, life-changing kind of 
scenario. So there's a lot at stake, but they frequently talk way too much and make the meeting much more of a monologue rather than a dialogue with the person. Um, to that same end, they talk too quickly. And they also talk business too soon. So they come into a meeting, and it's like, hi, nice to meet you, nice to meet you. Here's my project. It's a movie about this and this and this, and this is what's happening, what's happening. And the point of having an in-person meeting frequently is just so that you can really get a sense of, could I work with this person? Do I like them? Can we have a conversation? You know, what, what are they like? And um, by jumping in too soon, it jumps the gun, and uh, rarely do those meetings end up being successful, you know, collaboration or getting projects purchased. Yeah, I'm, I'm over here writing and taking notes as you're talking. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. These, these are all critical things, must-dos for anybody listening, because it just applies. I mean, it doesn't just apply to pitching a movie or, you know, applies to life. Which, well, I'm sure, do you see that in your, I mean, when people come in to meet with you? Well, yeah, I mean, you, we, it, it, usually it's the person who... You you said it before, so I, I'm, I'm going to reiterate what you said because I see that as well fairly often whenever we're being pitched, which is people will launch into their their project uh, on a, almost a beat for beat basis, and uh-huh. it's just all of it, the minute you start that, it's like this this hole you you can't get out of it. It's just you keep on yes. you know it gets more and more and more detailed, and the more detailed you get, the worse it gets, and the longer it takes to get through it. So that kind of really applies to. You know, your point about talking too much. The talking too quickly thing is just, I, I think that's a really interesting point, just uh, in in general, uh, for people to just slow down and take a breath. Uh, I, uh, you, You've seen that way more than I have. Uh, and uh, I think on your, your third point about, you know, getting just the opportunity to get to know somebody, I mean, that's just, that's just great business, just advice. And I think that okay. applies in any situation. So absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, where where to now for you? I mean, you, you do a lot of consulting. You, is mo- most of your most of your clients? Uh, do, you, do you find most of your clients online? Uh, how is that? Like the is that the uh, I guess the mainstay of, of your business is consulting and helping people be good in a room. It is. Um, I also have started developing online classes. So I have one class um, that's how to be a professional writer in Hollywood, which is really walking people through the business of being a writer, of presenting yourself, selecting the right project that you make as your introduction project to the business. Because as you know, this is such a business of first impressions and you want that first impression to be a real splash and so and, and to be positive, obviously. And so... Um, that's what I'm really excited about is taking the information that I've shared with so many one-on-one clients to help them build their business and make that accessible to a wider audience. Uh, so just, I guess, out of curiosity then, you know, what are the, when, when it comes to helping people build their business, and I love the fact that you talk about it as a business, you know, helping writers, I mean, because at the end of the day, uh, whether you're on the creative side or you're on the business side, you know, at the end of the day, it, it is a business and just, it's, it's nice to hear you, you know, as a creative person talking about it in, in that way. So from the perspective of this new endeavor that you're working on right now, what are some of the, what are some of the things that, that you, um, will be talking about in this new endeavor that will, that actually help people along that path? Uh, well, one thing that has been really interesting to me, at least over the last couple of years, is that so many people have come to me who have 
wonderful, wonderful projects that should be getting made. And they are just beating their heads against the ground trying to figure out why is some, you know, someone's interested, but they're not really committing, or I'm having these meetings, but it's just not converting into actual paid, you know, check money and cash money in the person's bank account or actual credits that they can be proud of. And so much of that is we would look through their work and the way that they were presenting themselves, whether it's to an agent or producer or executive, and frequently it's because they had projects in multiple genres and it really would dilute the impact of that person when they're meeting for the first time. And so we would identify, okay, what is the specific area that you are really going to be known initially as your as an expert in this particular genre. And so we would select that and then build their expertise in one area. And once they're really an expert in that one area, it's so much easier to break in, make that sale, make a subsequent sale, and then the person can branch out to other genres or do other kinds of projects. But when they're trying to make a splash initially and it's so diffused by, oh, I have this great drama and I have you know, an action movie, and I also have this TV show pilot that's really interesting. People don't know how to sell someone who has lots of different talents. They know how to sell someone who is really an expert. So I like to think of it like if you're, um, you know, if you're, if you're, if you contract some illness and you've been bitten by a bug and you're traveling in the Amazon, do you want to go to a general practitioner or do you want that, you know, specialized doctor who specializes in diseases of the Amazon? That's who you want. And that's a lot of times the way that studio executives make decisions. They are looking for the specialist, the highly developed specialist expert in that one area. And once you can break in with that expertise, then it's so much easier to get your second movie and third movie and fourth movie made after that first one's done. Yeah, because you see that a lot, don't you? Where, where people come at you and they're and they're like, "Okay, well, here's my five projects, and you got one in every genre." Uh, I, 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 right. I I haven't heard what you're saying yet on this podcast or from anybody else. So I have to say that that is a really really interesting insight. Um, I, I, and I suppose it applies mostly really for uh, any kind of f- f- filmmaker slash writer, less so for any producers, but for the for the writing community, that is. Uh, that is certainly some really, really tangible advice. Just focus on one thing and do that one thing well and sell yourself as that one thing. And and it applies for directors, too. So this year was an awesome year in that two of my director clients got their films accepted to Cannes, um, which they have struggled for years up until this year using this technique. Oh, that, that's fantastic. Congratulations. I, I won't ask Thanks. you who, because I, I'm sure you can't say, but, but that's awesome. Uh, and it was a good year at Cannes. I, I hope they did well. They did. They did very well. Great. I did not go. I, I, I live vicariously through their you know, blog posts and Facebook, <laughs> but, but they had a, they, it was terrific. It was really exciting. So, uh, just because we're we're kind of running up on time here, just uh, last couple of questions for you. What are some of the sure. best the best pitches you you've heard? And it could be from movies that already exist, but I'd love to hear you know what what are the pitches that that knocked you away or you're knocked you away? That's a bad metaphor. <laughs> what a picture! What did that knock you? I got that, pregnant <laughs> in one pitch. I got knocked up on that pitch. Yeah, um, that was a good pitch. No, um, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, one person who I can say is an exceptional pitcher that would not surprise you, but is Kevin Spacey. 
And um, I worked with him on 21, the true story of MIT students who took Vegas for millions. Um, and that was a project that I had purchased at, when it was a magazine article in Wired before the book was published. But on that project, when I was talking to him um, about it, he shared that when he first started in the business, before he was the well-known actor that we all know and love, um, he would partner with his friends who were screenwriters who were not, who were just really nervous and anxious in a room, and they would pretend that they were writing partners, and Kevin would go in and pitch the movie, and then when the movie sold, they would split the profits. <laughs> so he's an experienced um, screenwriting pitcher, even though he's never, he's not a screenwriter himself. That's hysterical. Kevin Spacey for hire. Yes, exactly. I, I imagine his price is quite high these days. You, you think? To, to, to get him in the room just to, to pitch? I don't know. For five minutes of his time, maybe it's worth it. For your proxy? Maybe so. You know, hey, pay him you know, half a million bucks. Come on in. I'll split it with you. Just pitch. It's five minutes, Kevin. Five minutes. Uh, I would do that. Yes. Um, it's job. funny that the, the thing that stands out to me, unfortunately, is more the extremely bad pitches um like the poor guy who sweated through my couch um and was so sweaty that when he stood up there was like a writer-shaped sweat stain on the couch oh Um, i know so sad um and there were plenty of other just people use crazy gimmicks like there was a man who came dressed as a baby as an adult you know wearing a large diaper and carrying a sword um you know, there are things like that that stand out, but not because we purchased the project, but just for the gimmick. Gimmicks, they don't always work too well. They can backfire no, they pretty bad. Note to self, don't dress up as a baby. Don't uh, dress up as a baby with a large sword. Security starts to wonder. Yes. Favorite books. What are your favorite books? And I, I'm asking this only Ooh, because I, I, I see right, right at the front of your website, you've got that lovely quote uh, from Blake Snyder, and we love his mm. book, Save the Cat. That is... Uh, one of our favorites in the business, and uh, I. He was a gem. We shared an office, so. Like, oh really? I, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. we, we know we uh, 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 his partner uh, Mike. Pj. Uh, uh, no, uh-huh. Mike. And Mike. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. we, we know him fairly well, and and he's a, he he's amazing, uh, and uh, we I just you know love the principles of his book, but I wanted to get from you your book recommendations, just because it's nice to talk to an author who probably has some really good insights into books that people should read. Well, if, I'm sure you've read Stephen Pressfield's The War of Art. Yes, awesome book. Okay, love that book. Um, let's see. Uh, I mean, I have some business books. There's certainly other screenwriting books. No, um, sure. Could or be movie yeah, I'm just, I'm just kind of spitballing here. I just, just a, a couple of book recommendations are always... Always fun. Let's see. Well, I love, um, I also love Twyla Tharp's book called The Creative Habit, Learn It and Use It for Life. Oh, I have not read that. Okay, cool. I think, I just think, to me, that was a really wonderful book. Um, The book that I'm going to read next is Ed Catmull um, from Pixar. I think it's called Creativity Inc. That's what I just read, the excerpt that was in Fast Company or... Inc. Magazine, Fast Company. Um, so that definitely made me want to read that. So that's what I'll be reading next. Um, there's so many wonderful books. Well, I mean, we've already blown through 40 minutes. I can't believe it's actually t- 
time to call this over. But I, I, again, I just want to thank you uh, for you know taking the time to come on the show. Are there any last takeaways that you want to leave our audience with? And certainly let people know where they can connect with you uh, if they'd like to you know talk to you about their projects and their needs. Sure. Um, well, I am very findable. Uh, my website is goodinaroom.com, and anyone, I have an ebook that's called How to Take a Hollywood Meeting that's available for free um, for anyone on my website that really walks you through the five stages of every successful pitch meeting that I broke down after my thousands of pitch meetings. Um, and I'm also on Twitter at Good in a Room, so I'm, unlike many people who are hard to reach, I am someone who is actually quite easy to reach, so feel free to contact me with any questions, and I really do care about helping screenwriters and producers get their movies made, so feel free to ask questions anytime. That's great. Well, Stephanie, thanks thanks again for your time. This has been, it's been a lot of fun. It's been my pleasure. So glad you reached out. All right, we're done. Episode number 34. Pretty cool, right? Stephanie Palmer, she rocks. Uh, that was an awesome episode. I really enjoyed talking to her. Some actionable information there for anybody who, uh, you know, was just, you know, sitting down there taking notes, kind of trying to figure out how to make themselves better in a room. For me personally, uh, I can say that my two biggest takeaways were, uh, one, hire Kevin Spacey, and two, that hierarchy of information when you're starting a pitch is just super important. As Stephanie said, you know your material better than anybody else, but the person sitting across from you, it's cool to them. So setting them up with the genre, uh, getting into it with the big picture right off the bat, and then turning it into a conversation as soon as possible, those are the gems. Those, to me, are the big takeaways. Because as she said, when you get into that nitty-gritty, that beat-by-beat, that story-point-by-story point, it just turns into this spiral of holy shit, how do I get myself out of this? And then the person across the table, while they may not be showing it to you, I can guarantee you that little birdie inside that person's head is, when is this guy going to stop? Or when is this girl going to stop? Because it just it gets to be too much. So uh, just awesome information there. Really, really important stuff that uh, I'm certainly going to take to heart and think about the next time. I'm in a room, and uh, I want to thank Stephanie again for, for coming in the show, for coming on the show, and for sharing all that with us. Again, head on over to crafttruck.com slash BOF34, and uh, there should be some goodies there on our show notes that Stephanie has been kind enough to share with us. So uh, again, hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll be back next week, and thanks for listening. <laughs>